Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rayston and I am your host today. And today I'm joined by just one colleague, Samuel Lockhurst, who is currently in Spain. Samuel, it's absolutely freezing in Salford this morning. What's the weather like in Spain? Well, we've, we've had a monsoon here. It's a very classically <laughs> British uh, discussion, this. Let's get onto the weather straight away. But no, it's it's not sunny Spain. It certainly isn't. There have been some sunny intervals, but it's, yeah, the United have been in some, been training in some monsoon weather this week. Uh, there's been one already this morning. It's, it's very windy. I think rain is due again later on. So although there's a beach about, well, a goal kick away from the hotel, um, it's when I walked along it yesterday, I was just about the only other the only person walking apart from a couple of, of surfers out there as well uh, who were braving the conditions. But it's it's, it's still nice to, to get away as always. Have you been Can't for a complain. swim? Is it like Daniel Craig leaving the ocean? And <laughs> C- Certainly not. I, I'm not trying to think of a, of a more um, credible comparison <laughs> than that. But no, it, it, it escapes me really. If you can think of someone scrawny, <laughs> it's it's more like that. Someone who's scrawny and pale, I suppose. Maybe, maybe that... more like Matt, Matt Damon from the talented Mr. Ripley. I, I'd, I'd happily take that. I'd have no no issue with that. Yeah, well, it sounds like you can't escape the Manchester weather uh, anyways with the rain following you. But obviously, there was a game last night we're recording on the Thursday afternoon. United had friendly against the Liga strugglers Cadez. It was 4-2 in that game. Uh, Anthony Martial scored and, and Kobe Menu, who we'll obviously get on to and we'll analyse that game a bit. But I'll just ask you for your stat reaction. I always like to do that really and give her a bit of colour. What do. was the stadium like? Because it looked very steep from the from the photos you tweeted out. It, it certainly was. It was steeper than I thought, for, given that it's quite a, a small club in, in La Liga and it's, it's also an extremely remote part of Spain as well you don't realize until you actually look on the map and you get google maps out to to walk to your hotel or walk from the station or wherever just how remote it is uh but it was it was quite vibrant outside the ground last night I was I was slightly surprised how um how how busy it was and apparently it's a it's a holiday out here today in 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 Spain as well so it's a little bit busier than it was yesterday during the day the stadium was was half half full really but the kind of uh, supporters were extremely enthusiastic. It's, it's not very often that they get to greet Manchester United. The, the two clubs had a lunch at a uh, at a seaside restaurant yesterday afternoon, which is common practice when when United are playing uh, a, a team outside England. They, they, the officials from two teams tend to get together and have quite a convivial uh, rendezvous in the afternoon. So. Um, and, and also, I don't think there was a designated away section last night. I think if you were a United fan who wanted a ticket to the game and got the ticket from the from, from the club website, you were among the, the Cadiz supporters as well. But there were no issues. There were a couple of um, very beery United fans to our left with an Argentine flag uh, out singing the odd song. But there was, there was no hint of trouble whatsoever. It was a very... Um, it was, it was just a very uh, good atmosphere. A lot of lot of kids also getting to see the game as well, which which is you know is only beneficial after Florentino Perez said last year that kids don't have any attention span watching football. But the evidence last night would would point to the contrary. 
I'm only 13 years old and I completely disagree with those comments, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> if we analyse kind of the positives from the game, Samuel Zidanek Bal started in midfield alongside Donny van der Beek and Scott McTominay. He obviously made his first team debut against Young Boys last year uh, under Ralph Ranić. I thought he was obviously the, the probably the big positive from that first half. Obviously, Ganacho was also good. So what did you make of his performance? Because he won the penalty for Martial. I thought he was composed on the ball and I thought he was quite impressive. He's he's a very accomplished young player, and it's easy to forget that he's he's still nineteen. I think people have been aware of him for for a couple of years, maybe three years now. And when he has had those opportunities at first team level, albeit in friendlies, he he's not failed to impress. He was very uh, good on the tour. I thought he was very polished with his play. Uh, he was a bit more probing last night. I thought a bit more proactive, trying, and and that's obviously how he won the penalty. Uh, I remember doing a piece about him at the start of start of the year, and someone telling me that he he idolised idolised Mesut Özil, but he based his game on on Frankie De Jong, which obviously during the summer when he was playing well, and you had that De Jong tedium going on in the background, um, it was it was something of a coincidence that United were playing a midfielder, Ten Hag was playing a midfielder, who styled himself on the way Frankie De Jong plays. And although it was just a half last night, and let, let's face it, we, we didn't learn anything new. There's a reason why we call it five talking points rather than five things learned, because I, I think for most games, you don't really learn too much, and especially uh, with, with last night's game, that was very much the case. But he's, he's in that corridor of uncertainty, Iqbal, in that he's trained with the first team all season. He's not played very often with the under twenty ones. Uh, he was he was actually withdrawn from the under twenty one squad. I think it was against Fleetwood in the EFL Trophy, which is, is a competition that he he has played in the other two games of it because you're coming up against senior professionals. But he was withdrawn from that because they thought he might be needed for the first team squad. But then Christian Eriksen recovered from illness, so he was able to be on the bench against Tottenham. And of course, Iqbal hasn't had a competitive kick all season, uh, which which is a pity and, and slightly surprising, given well, given how well he fared during pre-season. But of course, United have strength in midfield with with Casemiro. They have got options there. Um, Eriksen's been excellent, but Tomney's done. De- he's he's fared favourably more often than not when he has started. Fred has probably produced the performance of a season from from an, an individual in a United shirt as well against Tottenham. So. There's not really a pathway there for him at the moment, but the feeling from the club is that it's beneficial for him to spend a full season training with the first team. And although plateau is quite a negative word, that was the word that was used to me. If he plateaus, that's that's fine as far as they're concerned for, for the next five months. Or, or, or more specifically, they're talking about if it gets to a point where they notice a dip, that's when there's a worry. But of course, they've not got very long to make that decision as to whether... He goes out on loan next month or not? Because, as I said, there have been occasions this season where where he has been on this on the bench. He was on the bench against Fulham a few weeks ago. I think he was on the bench in all of the Europa League games as well. So the the chances are he would be on the bench against Barcelona in February. And at United, quite rightly, the the, the needs of the first team squad come first as much as they want youngsters to develop and, and go out and, and embark on, on, on fulfilling loans in the football league or, or the championship level most preferably if we're being specific to, to English football and it, it you know it could go either way really I, th- I think that given that he made his debut over a year ago it's probably in his best interest to go out on loan 
because he's not playing enough football really. And the, the chances are when we're at Bolton next week, he'll be playing there. But then again, you look at it, the needs of the first team with that Burnley game the week after, which players from the World Cup are going to be back. It, it, it feels like he'll be on, on the bench for that game at the very least. But the way he's playing, you can make a case that he, he does somehow get a start. Although I think given that Christian Eriksen's already flown back from Qatar, you're probably leaning towards McTominay and, and Eriksen starting in that game. But with, with Iqbal, he's, he's a talent. He, he looks really good. And there, there's certainly, I think there's some, some hope there that he could could have a career at United, but he needs to be tested at, at that proper level now. And I'm not even talking United first-team level. I'm just talking first-team level at at a football league club, but he might have to wait until the start of next season for that. Yeah, it'll be fantastic to see him on Tuesday night, as you've just mentioned. We're obviously heading to Bolton in the famous Papa John's Trophy, so that's an exciting trip for you. Is it, is it the University of Bolton Stadium now? Is that what, is it's, that what called? it's called? Oh, I couldn't tell you, but it's always be it's always be the Reebok, won't it? It'll, yeah, it'll be... I ho- yeah, it, it will. I hope Dan Murphy's not listening, but <laughs> if anyone knows, he will know. Yeah, you'll have a heart attack of that. Um, obviously, you've talked about Ganacho there. It does seem like they're taking the kind of Ganacho approach with Iqbal, keeping him around the first team and developing that way. I wanted to talk about Ganacho. Yes, he was bright in the first half, but obviously he didn't really pull up any trees, really. But I was going to ask, is that left-wing position going to be his when the football returns? But before I ask you that, and we'll touch on how Toothless Alanga has been and Sancho being out of form. I was going to ask you, can you remember the last time Anthony Alanga scored in a competitive fixture for Manchester United? And I'll give you a moment to, to think about it. was at Lesco Madrid, wasn't there it? There you go. Well yeah. done. Very well done. Chapeau, we'll say. So uh, you, you're going back to, to February, which is, is obviously a major issue when yeah. he's one of six forwards. And However, you look at it with those six forwards, there is a and not an asterisk as such, but there is a caveat with each of them that Anthony has missed the last five games. So he's had his own injury issues. Marshall's had his own injury issues. Rashford, people still seem to always want to start a new debate as to where he should play. I still maintain that his best position is on the left wing, but there will be occasions where he has to go to the centre. Sancho, of course, has been missing for for quite some time now, and he's doing his own individual training sessions in in the Netherlands. And Garnacho, he's he's not even at an age yet where Cristiano Ronaldo was when he first signed for United. That's how how young he is. So, you know, that that, we've we've talked about it ad nauseum about the need for a forward, but the, the, the case is extremely compelling as far as January is concerned. We'll move on to Kobe Menu then, Samuel. Um, in the second half, Ten Hag made 10 changes with multiple of the youngsters who won the FA Youth Cup last season uh, against Nottingham Forest coming onto the pitch. So that was very exciting. And within a few minutes, I think Kobe Menu danced around and, and kind of evaded his marker. And yes, he got the fortune of a deflection, but he did well to fashion the opportunity, I thought. Um, so do you really think he's possibly the, the leading light of this age group? Because whenever I've been to, to the under-21 games this season, that's what it kind of feels like. And when he gets on the ball, it, it seems like something's going to happen. I, a friend of mine went to an under-21s uh, friendly in, in the summer at Altrincham, I think it was. And he, he said how, how different Mainu looked because he was quite scrawny last season, as you'd imagine, for a 16 going on a 17-year-old. But he's clearly filled out, um, as, as a lot of youngsters do, uh, tend to do at United in the summer, there will come a point in their development where they realise they need to bulk up and, and 
you know, have have some protein shakes and, and really build a, a, a stature that um, is, is going to make the coaches take notice of and get them ready for hopefully senior football sooner rather than later. And Langer did that last year and, and Maynard has certainly done that this year. I, I thought it was terrific in the, the Youth Cup games that I, I watched last season and coming away from those games, I always thought, well, he's... He looks like the most complete player of, of, of this team. Obviously, Garnacho was the poster boy because he got all the goals and look, the way he's played this season for the first team since he, he got his chance in that, I think it was, the, it was the game against Sheriff, wasn't it, when he made his full debut. You can't you can't knock him. Um, two, two goals, both important goals as well. A winner away in Spain, in Europe, a, a huge winning goal against Fulham. Garnacho surprised, I think, everyone in, in how uh, quickly he's he's taken to, to first-team football and how, not so much his confidence, but just how he can he can adjust to certain demands of certain teammates and, and also a, a new manager coming in. He's, he's been able to adjust to what he wants from him and, and the style of play and that all this all of this has come after those issues in pre-season regarding his attitude and his tawdry timekeeping. But Maynu, I think, has, has got a real chance of, of making it United. And he's had some recognition already this season, but he made the bench against Newcastle. So he's clearly caught the manager's eye quite quite early on. Um, it's, it's interesting that Ten Hag is, I mean, apart from Garnacho, and Garnacho's only been in the last six weeks or so, but there was a point where people were starting to wonder, well, is, is Ten Hag really going to embrace, when, when is he going to embrace the youth um, aspect of United? Because... He was playing such strong teams in the Europa League and such strong. Obviously, it was a very strong side against Villa in the League Cup as well. But rather, it's it's been quite gradual, or it's happened without anybody really realizing. And that the majority of the finalists in who start in in the Youth Cup final win against Sutton Forest, they've 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 either made their debut, they've either played in the first team friendly, or they've they've trained with the first team as well. I believe they've all got professional contracts, and the majority of them are out here. In Cadiz as well, uh, training with the first team. I say training with the first team. I mean, look at look at the squad. It, it is it is more of an under twenty one squad than a first team squad going off uh, the, off the numbers. But Maynou, I, I is is the one who since I first saw him, I thought the the other interesting thing about him is that, and it's the same with Daniel Gore as well, is that United is starting to um, develop midfielders who are more modern. You go back to 2011 and the brilliant Youth Cup winning team they had then of Pogba and Tunnicliffe and Ravel Morrison. Those three midfielders, and I know Morrison was more of a playmaker, but they were the middle three. Those th- middle three compared to the middle three that won the Youth Cup last season, it's it just shows the difference in generations and how football has evolved. And watching Maynu and Gore, they they play more like Spanish midfielders because clearly the academies in England have felt the need over the last 10 years to adapt to new ways of playing because that's that's the way the game is played. And I suppose the irony is you know, Spain went out of the World Cup the other day and were pretty tedious to watch during the World Cup as well because it's all about pass, 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 pass. But United and, and the other academies, they have had to refine the way their players play. And you've, England are seeing the benefits because look, Jude, Jude Bellingham is... is, is Certainly, sooner or later, he's going to be recognised as the best midfielder in the world, and he plays like a modern midfielder. So, it's it's reassuring for United that they have got 
a couple of gems in the academy that that they're polishing who as i said they've 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 certainly got a chance and they've also had the recognition from from the manager already I was going to mention Dango because he was excellent last season, wasn't he? When in that you've got yeah. Sam Kane and he's captained in the twenty ones on a few times this season when I've been along and I've been impressed by him. He's played a bit bit higher up in the number ten position, but he's definitely got a future, a bright future ahead, just like me and you. Um, if we just end this kind of Spanish segment, I thought you then. said just like me and you there, as if we still had a chance of making it. As uh, if only, if only. Yeah, Do you know what? I can hear, yeah, I can hear why you you heard that there. Um, if we kind of wrap up this segment, though, Samuel, uh, this kind of Spain trip you've just kind of mentioned, it's basically been a de facto academy trip, hasn't it? It's been predominantly the youngsters, but for their development and coming back to Manchester, they've obviously got the Papa John's game on Tuesday. But what will this week mean for the players? Because it's such an opportunity to to impress Ten Hag, train in front of them, and kind of you know work so closely with senior professionals. Yeah, it's it's massively beneficial and. I think the under twenty one coach Mark Dempsey is out here as well. We're, I think we're having access to to watch training on on Friday tomorrow. So uh, that that'll be interesting. I mean, I, I know these things you can uh, be. It's, it's easy to be quite dismissive of them, especially if it's the majority of the first team players aren't there. But it's still you know, there's interest in it, and there will be first team players present or first team squad members present, I should say. And look, I. I I think it's important, you know, the, the MEN obviously when it can and it almost always can, it will send to youth games or reserve games and you do get a bit of satisfaction from being able to go to a game and see a young player and you follow his progress and then he gets in the first team and he makes an impression then he becomes a nationwide success and then he becomes a worldwide phenomenon and you can always say, well, I watched him, you know, here when he was a teenager and it was one man and his dog turning up to watch and nobody had heard of him. So you, you get ahead of the curve in terms of getting to know about the player by obviously uh, putting in that face time and it is appreciated by the club as well. And, um, you know, that's, that's why, that's why I'm out here really. It's, it's, it's to, uh, to glean as much as possible, gain as much insight as possible into how United are going about things and how they're preparing for the restart. Um, you know, with the under 21s, I suppose the, Although they are, you know, they're getting this exposure under Ten Ten Hag, that the concern will be the the position in the in the Premier League two table, where I think they've only won one game all season, and you know, relegation is is going to be certainly at the back of their minds, and it's it's certainly looking possible. And when they did get relegated in two thousand eighteen, I think it was, it went down like an absolute <clears throat> lead balloon at the club. And you had Jose Mourinho on the pre-season tour just pretty much saying, you know, I've had to bring these youngsters out here because players have been playing at the World Cup or they're at the World Cup and these youngsters got relegated. And obviously it's going to be quite crushing for those players to have heard it at the time, but he wasn't wrong. And you look at the career paths of some of those youngsters since they left United and there's a reason why they're relegated and that's the brutal reality of football. And although it might seem inconsequential because it's just a reserve team and United are always going to produce players for the first team, it is still important to keep your head above water at that level. But it, the, the, there are fundamental issues with, with the under-21 league and the way it's operated that um, that need changing. And it's still not a level that is particularly fulfilling, I don't think, for, for the youngsters who, who are playing in it. 
No, I'd agree with that. And I think as the season goes on, I think you'll see maybe Iqbal drop down for a few more games and Palestri if, mm. if things are starting to become a bit serious and you know that the status in the Premier League two is becoming vulnerable as it currently is, obviously, because it's not been pretty sometimes this season going along to Lee Sports Village, as you can imagine, <laughs> looking at the results. Um, I've, I've said I wanted to move on from Spain, actually, Samuel, but I wanted to discuss a few negatives that kind of evaded my mind there. And the first negative that comes to my mind straight away is Aaron Wan-Bissaka. He's played four minutes this season against Liverpool. He came on in the kind of latter stages of that game. He's been injured for most of the season with a, with a back injury. He comes back into the side. Look, it's an opportunity to prove people wrong, to remind people that he's still got a bit of talent, but he wasn't very good last night, was he? No. And as you say, you can play as well as you you can do in, in these games. And it's, it's probably not going to make much of a difference. And everybody knows that Diogo Dallo is going to start against Nottingham Forest on uh, December the 27th, unless he's got a raging hangover from Portugal winning the World Cup. So with with Wan Bissaka, you know he's kind of damned if he does, he's damned if he doesn't. But the the way he applied himself was just was just woeful. The, for the second goal, looking on the highlights and the clip, we we didn't have any monitors in the stadium. We didn't the, the big strip screen didn't show the goals either. So you you only yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not going to be looking for an illegal stream of a rerun of Man United Cadiz, put it that way. But what I could see on YouTube, it didn't really show enough from the the second goal, just how how disengaged he was tracking back. And he wasn't the only one. You only have to look at McTominay tracking back. For some reason, he decides to go down the gears rather than up them, um, shadowing, I think it was it, Lozano who scored the goal. Uh, he's the one who's tracking him and he doesn't. he's not intense enough. So it wasn't just Wan-Bissaka, but obviously with Wan-Bissaka, given the way his career's gone, he's he's got to show a hell of a lot more if he wants to continue being a Manchester United player but I, I genuinely don't think deep down that he wants to continue being a Manchester United player I think that his agent really needs to you know earn his coin in, in January and get him a move somewhere else whether it's on loan or permanent and United need to cut their losses on him sooner rather than later and if they cut their losses on him in, in January then there's there's a compelling case there to, to recruit a right back and it's, it's been unfair on Dallow because you, you, you don't want to run him into the ground because he's such an important player and he's been one of United's best players this season. He's been injury-free for over two years, but United are, are going to be really pushing it. This is such an unusual season. He's, he started twice for Portugal already now at the World Cup. He played in the friendly against Nigeria just before the World Cup started. 20 out of 21 starts for United this season. He's, he's on course to play you know, in, well in excess of... Of 50 games this season, uh, you, you would imagine if, if United are able to advance in some of the cup competitions as well. And he needs he needs dependable support. And Anwan Basaku is is not dependable. Nobody can can say he is. Uh, he's and, and when you've asked when we've asked Ten Hag about him this season, on the rare, rare occasions that Wan Basaku has been brought up, he's not talked of any serious injuries or serious issues. He, I think he referred to it as a, as a small problem. Yet, I think you could probably count on one hand, two hands at the very most, how many times he's been on the bench this season. I think it might be six games or something like that. Um, so th- that's that's an issue there. And he he just strikes me as somebody who, who, who doesn't want to be at the club. And it's in the interest of everyone to, to get him out of the club in January. 
I think it's obvious, isn't it, that he needs to go. Uh, his days are very numbered now, but there is a, a currently a, a lack of interest, it seems. And that's perhaps not surprising when you see him perform or and he has played, he's not been excellent. In terms of his kind of bringing a new right back to the club, Samuel, you've just mentioned Diego Dallo. He does need competition. Um, he's played so many games this season and that's been impressive in itself as kind of, you know, his reliability to turn up and, and avoid injury. Um, but what kind of player are we looking at? We're looking at... A, you know, a player of a similar quality to Dallo or a player maybe at a different stage of their career that isn't perhaps ready to challenge? Because I've saw United obviously link with Denzel Dumfries. He's been fantastic at the World Cup, but he would be one to start with. He would want to play a tree. Uh, I mean, this that that's, that is classic World Cup fodder, really. Yeah. The United have a Dutch manager. They had an Eredivisie-centric summer and Denzel Dumfries is, is a very good player, but he plays for Inter Milan. They're not going to get him off into Milan in, in January. Um, there's there's no logic with that. With with Cody Gatbo, you can believe that could happen in in January, but why would Inter Milan, who consider Dumfries a first choice right back or right wing back, and who are in the Champions League last sixteen, why would they be cashing in on that player? And would United be stumping up anywhere near amount of the cash that Inter would want for someone that they signed eighteen months ago? Um, I mean, I, I I thought when I watched Dumfries at the Euros last year that he looked a really good player, and I know you can always we've we've talking about sorry talking we've we've spoken about this before with major tournaments how misleading they can be, but w- watching him then I, I did think there was more about him than just someone being motivated to play well at a Euros and get a move, and he did get a move obviously because he went to Inter Milan, but he does look a quality player, and you know. To, to play under Van Gaal that, as, a, as a wing-back, there are a lot of demands that come with that. And he, he could have gone in, in a different direction possibly there, but he hasn't. And, you know, but but that being the case, we can talk about Dumfries as much as we can. United are bound to be linked with, with Dutch players um, every every day, every hour, every week uh, these days because they've got a Dutch manager now and because of the way they operated in the transfer window. It's, it's interesting. I mean, speaking to someone at United, they said they can hit a button and a list of solutions will appear for whatever position they want to strengthen uh, in January. So you, you would hope they were in that place as well because they, they should be. They need to be prepared to be able to whistle down a short list of players that they, they could go for that, that are attainable. Off, off the top of my head, it's... You know, it's, it's it's difficult to to surmise of of someone who who really fits the bill, but that 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 right back has got to be. You know, you could talk about a loan in January, which is always um, it's always something that that clubs tend to consider if they are in the market. But come the summer, they are going to need someone permanently uh, because you can't just continue operating with one right back, and that one right back instantly is strangely out of contract in June. Uh, technically, he's obviously United have got the one-year option on Dallow, but they really need to pull their finger out there and, and get him tied down on a on a completely new contract because he's not just had a good few months under Ten Hag. He's 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 impressed a, an awful amount over the last year or so. And you just look at the clubs that have been interested in him. Uh, Milan wanted to resign him. Dortmund were interested. Roma, Barcelona are interested in him at the moment as well. Um, He's, he's ousted Jao Cancelo from the Portugal team 
So that that's probably the, the priority, I would say. It's to get Dallow nailed down on a new long-term contract rather than necessarily um, you know, investing more time in, in signing a right-back, as, as important as that is. Because I, I, as a, you know, we've, we've said before, and I think I even wrote it last week, I do think they need a right-back in, in January, but it's you know fortunately i'm not in that position to uh, to have to go out there and identify that player and, and make that signing that's that's on the, obviously the the people at united and that magic button of course indeed <laughs> yes yeah, kieran trippier would have been in an outstanding addition i thought last year and Solskjaer's last summer but that ship's well sailed hasn't it um, i think his quality and his leadership would have really really helped that dressing room especially yeah, last I season, agree. especially last season. i agree yeah, if yeah. we stick with the, the kind of Dutch contingent then, the Dutch theme, Ten Hag said after the game that there were plenty more negatives than positives. And I, I really liked how critical he was, actually, Samuel, after the game. That's been kind of absent at United the last couple of years. I think you wrote your lunch piece about that as well. But one of the negatives as well, like I just said, keeping with the Dutch, was Van der Beek. <laughs> last month, we were absolutely baffled when he started three games in a row. And I think I kind of said, look, he's not good enough to play for Manchester United. There were calls for him to play at the start, but it's now become that simple. His days at the club are now very numbered, surely, on the Samuel, just like Juan Pesaka. I he was he was always going to start last night because it would have been strange if, if he hadn't. But again, if, if he'd played well, it wouldn't have made any difference to my perception of him and, and how other people who are sound of mind uh, view Van der Beek. He, he's not up to it. It's you know the, the people who think that he's he can still cut it for United. Um, you know they're, they're probably beyond help. Really, uh, you know, I th- it's it's quite interesting. This this you occasionally see it. This this use of the word agenda. Essentially, if you're accused of having an agenda, that's because you're criticising a player who someone is a fanboy of. That that's that's the rationale of it. That's the way it works out. Um, I mean, I I can't recall a single thing that he did last night that was worthy of of note at all. And it, it was only forty five minutes. It was a friendly that nobody really cared about. That had no major significance. But again, coming back to the point you made about Ten Hag, that, that is one of the best things about Ten Hag. He's, he's critical in, in victory. So you can imagine how critical he is in defeat. And he was last night. He accused them of, of sleeping, not being awake. It was unacceptable. Uh, he's used the word... Um, I don't think... He's, he's definitely said uh, unacceptable previously this season. I don't think he's quite gone as far as unforgivable. But Van der Beek, just every time I see him, if he's wearing a red shirt... At Old Trafford, he just blends in with the empty, whatever empty seat there is. If he's wearing the white kit, he's ghosting through a game. If he's wearing the green kit, he just blends in with the pitch. Um, he, it's not going to work out there. And it's in their interests, really, just to say to Ajax, look, all that money we gave you in the summer, could we recoup some of it by, by selling you Van der Beek? Because I think that that would be, again, it's, it's, it's a move that would probably be in the best, best interests of of all parties, Van der Beek goes back to safe haven of Ajax, gets gets to play regularly, play well, get back in the Dutch squad and have an enjoyable career that's good for his professional life, his family life as well. And um, United, you know, United get him off the books. I, you know, it's easy to forget how positive we were about Van der Beek when he signed for the club and all the calls for him to play in his first season. But there was a reason why why Solskjaer wasn't playing him, and as I've said before, 
if you've been at Man United a year and all of a sudden you want to start playing for a year on loan at Everton, that's that's not the right mentality. That's not the mentality of a Man United player. Hashtag free Donny van der Beek hasn't trended this year, has it? Has it not? <laughs> and I don't think no. that's been a coincidence. <laughs> no, no. I remember leaving, I think it was Mark Critchley um, of the Independent, he took a picture of it, leaving Old Trafford last season and someone had taken a cardboard um, box and they'd written on it, free Donny, and there was a tyre track over it. Um, where someone had obviously just deserted it after the game, and obviously the, the the obvious joke to make was that it had to have been Ole at the wheel. But <laughs> I can't <laughs> imagine it's going to get too many laughs. Well, it made me laugh, Samuel. It, it made you laugh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I am paid to laugh at you, so <laughs> I have to add that in, add that caveat. In. Yeah, true. Um, we'll, we'll, t- we'll discuss the World Cup um, just a bit before we jump off. I'm cautious of the time. Um, the majority of United's players have progressed to the quarterfinal stage. There's been some really impressive performances. For me, obviously, Rashford's been fantastic, but I've been really, really impressed by Casemiro Samuel. His passing is just his break of play. Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. he's been Brazil's best player. And that's such a statement considering the, the array of attack and talent they've got, that Casemiro can come in and look that good. So who's really stood out to you and, and how happy have you been, or pleased, sorry, is probably the word, with, with the players' performances because it's promising that they've continued that form at this tournament. They've the majority have been impressive. It's it's difficult to think of a United player who's who's not impressed at the World Cup, even those who've already been back to Doha Airport and long since left Qatar. Palestri was was okay for Uruguay in, in the the three appearances he had. Ericsson was certainly one of the better players for, for Denmark. I, I did find it strange some people actually seriously tipping Denmark to, to win the tournament before it started. I, I couldn't quite understand that. I mean, dark horse, dark horses, you know, that, that status, they, they're always assigned the status of dark horses, Denmark. I, I could just about understand that. But obviously they went out early and, and Australia did phenomenally well to get through um, to, to the knockout stage. And of those still in it... Uh, Martinez, I, I don't quite understand why he's not starting for Argentina. I think his um, interventions or, or contributions defensively have been by far the most impressive um, in, in their games. He's, he's by far and away a better centre-back than Otamendi or Romero. I know Otamendi and Romero have struck up a good partnership under Scaloni and he, he's clearly wants to continue with that. But Martinez came in for the second game and then he was back out for the third game. So it was a bit bit befuddling but when he has played he has done very well for Argentina um, I suppose Anthony's been on the fringes he's not not done a great deal for, for Brazil but Brazil have got such an extraordinary array of attackers there that he was always going to be starting on the bench Fred's had some minutes but as you say Casemiro has been has been excellent he, you knew that he would be starting for Brazil and it was telling in that game against uh, I think it was Switzerland wasn't it when he scored the winner that the, the other two midfielders, was it Fred and maybe not Paqueta? I can't remember if Paqueta started, but it was another midfielder who started. They both came off, but Casemiro stayed on. And there's a reason why. I know he got the goal, but he's so vital at both ends. And he's, he's, he's I think he's clearly surprised everybody just how, how good he is in, in an attacking sense as well, the way he uses the ball. It's always forward passes and he's so positive with his intent. The English contingent have, have done well. Um, Rashford's an interesting case because I thought against in that game against Wales in the first half he was a bit bit sloppy and he should have yeah. taken an opportunity that that came his way. He waited far too long. 
uh, to, to try and clip it past Danny Ward. But obviously in the second half, he he got the two goals, two goalkeeping errors, but nevertheless, to, to become the only other United player to score three goals at a World Cup, other than Bobby Charlton, is is, is some going. And, and Maguire, and I think Luke Shaw has probably been a bit of an unsung hero for England, that he's been very consistent. He's never been of a man of the match level, but he's not done anything wrong, I don't think. And his, his energy and his stamina uh, and the consistency of his performances have been really impressive. And he, he was he was playing well for a month or two for United going into the World Cup as well, which has clearly helped him because he had a, a dreadful start to the season. Um, I don't think Malassia's even played for the Netherlands, has he? That's what I was about to say. He's not played a single minute. It's funny how it works, isn't it? Because he was brought off two games in a row, Man City um, and in Cyprus, of course. And then he's lost his place. And look at them now kind of thing. Shaw's excelled, isn't he? Well, Malassia's not getting a game. Exactly. That's that's how quickly things can change. And and I think Fernandez has had a, a almost a quietly good tournament. I know he got a couple of games in the win over Uruguay, so it's not exactly having a quiet performance, but he's um he, he's had a, an an okay first third of the season with United, but he, he's he's excelling for Portugal and unsurprisingly Portugal are better off without uh, the, the prima donna Ronaldo starting up front as well. So uh, for, for those still in denial and still berating Eric Ten Hag for doing the right thing time and again with Ronaldo, I don't think they they can really um, continue with their, their their vain quest that Ronaldo is is still the, the be all and end all for the teams he plays for. And again, this is a player who's looking to to move to the Saudi Arabian League, you know, which is effectively him him confirming that that Ten Hag was right and. Last but not least, we just touched on earlier, uh, Dallo, he's, he's had uh, outstanding contributions in his two starts from Portugal. And it's interesting the way he's been uh, eased into the team. It's a little bit similar to the Euros and that he made his debut in the third game. Then he started the knockout game against Belgium and at this World Cup, didn't play in the first two games. Started in the game where there was rotation for, uh, for the career match because, because Portugal had already qualified. But he put such in such a compelling case to start that he, he started the next game against Switzerland and Portugal ran riot. And it's no no mean feat uh, ousting a, a fullback as brilliant as, as Cancelo as well. But the feeling in Portugal, speaking to some people out there, was that Dallo should have started the tournament with, with Cancelo possibly on the other team. But it's you know, it, it bodes well for him that he's, he's come in and, and Cancelo's gone out. I'm not sure how Cancelo can actually defend watching about this tournament. Yeah, how... that's, that's the bad thing. He's he is he is like Danny Alves. He's one of these fullbacks who who's clearly not good defensively, but is such a a brilliant attacker that tends to um, take all the acclaim. And let's face it, I think he's 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 possibly redefined the role of a fullback in a lot of ways. And that sometimes he's like he is like a playmaker playing at fullback, or you just don't even consider him a fullback. He's he's a phenomenal attacker, but pretty a pretty dreadful defender as, as Trent Alexander Arnold is, but unfortunately for Alexander Arnold, Liverpool have had a pretty uh, pretty ropey season so far and he's he's made a lot of mistakes that have contributed to goals. Both of those players could play midfield, couldn't they? Such as the talent yeah. probably the half from, from yeah. right back from full back. Which shows uh, how much the rules change from the, the days of Gary Neville and whatnot. Um, last question then, Samuel. We'll discuss Rashford then. Um, my favourite player. Contract situation. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. We'll have to say that to regular listeners yeah. of the podcast. I'll understand that joke. Um, but I've saw so, so supporters online kind of... <coughs> 
Ten Hag is is kind of single handedly behind all these, these performances at the World Cup from all the United players. I don't think it's it's quite that simple. But in the case of Rashford, he obviously has improved a lot this season. Eight goals um, across all competitions, three goals at the World Cup, as we've just discussed. And he looks like a new player, doesn't he? He looks renewed. He's got confidence back. He, he looks dangerous. So, what do you think's behind that improvement? Really, is it as simple as Ten Hag's coaching is really getting the best out of him? Well, Ten, Ten Hag values him more than Rangnick did, most certainly. There were two games last season when I think City away and Leicester at home. <clears throat> excuse me, as you, as you can tell, I'm still a bit hoarse from my <laughs> from my illness. Um, where I think Ronaldo Cavani. Marshall and, and Greenwood were all absent for those two games and Rashford didn't start in either of them. And he ended last season out of the United squad, out of the England squad. And quite recently, he's regular for United um, and he seemed to be a regular for England. But then Gareth Southgate uh, took, took him out of the team and put Saka back in against Senegal and was completely vindicated in that call as well. I'm not criticising it at all. I even said in my panel selection that if... If, if you have to sacrifice a winger for to, to get Foden in, then so be it. And that's that's what Southgate did. But Rashford's obviously playing under a man who trusts him. I also don't think you can underestimate the amount of um, how much he's certainly curbed his, his commercial activities or the activities off the pitch. And again, I'm not criticising him for doing that whatsoever. He did utterly commendable work during the pandemic with the free school mills and book clubs and trying to help out children who you know are not in a particularly prosperous environment and need a bit of hope and, and, and need support and he's he's very socially aware in that sense but it had come to the point where and I think the giveaway was that his brother tweeted something that was meant for was it meant for Rashford's account or, or meant for his account but came out Rashford's account which confirmed that Rashford wasn't doing his own tweets, which was obvious to me and obvious to you, but maybe not obvious to people on Twitter. And so it, it you know, I think when, when things are going on like that, it, it, it allows people to, 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 to knock him down and to be critical of what he's doing. And you know, people might say, oh, it's a bit false. It's a bit phony, this, that and the other. Um it was clear that he wasn't doing a lot of the tweets, but he was clearly sanctioning them as well. And he was very involved in it, but he's a footballer. And I know Solskjaer did get a lot of stick um, from when, when he did say verbatim, he needs to focus, prioritise on football. And then he tried to say that we'd you know, misconstrued what he said when we, we'd actually just quoted him. But what Solskjaer said did echo a lot of um, feeling, the feelings of a lot of supporters out there. And Rashford these days, he's not as proactive on social media. He's not as, um, his, his activities aren't as prevalent. He, he's still doing things, but he's not doing them as much because he realised, given his form fell off a cliff, that he had to do something about it. And he has done something about it. He's, he's gone to, you know, he did a warm weather camp in, in the summer to prepare himself for the new season. He had a pretty good pre-season. Uh, he's had a decent season so far as well. He's he scored some very important goals for United, so he's made lifestyle adjustments. And also, he's I think he was, it was in earlier in the year that um, it emerged that he was uh, he rekindled a relationship with his childhood sweetheart. That's all. That's only going to be beneficial to him as well. He said, I think in October he wasn't in right headspace going into games. So 
at times last season. So if your mental well-being is in place where it needs to be, you're likely to play well. So he's made adjustments to his his, his life and all, all things have happened to him for the better. And he's, he's, he's playing better football. So um, they're, they're a combination of things, but ultimately it, it falls down onto the, the player to you know, really produce and deliver. So as, as I'd have said that he deserved the criticism for his poor performances last season, he deserves the praise this season for for the improvements in his game. I think I need to get back with my childhood sweetheart to improve my <laughs> That might be the answer going forward, do you reckon? But, but if, if that was a panacea to everyone's life, I think there would be a lot of a uh, lot of couples rekindling relationships from ten or twenty years ago. Yeah, but if, maybe it's scientifically proven. Who knows? Maybe that that, that study will emerge in, in in the near future. That's probably dangerous territory, and we'll not get into it because yeah. it is the end of the podcast. So thank you very much for your, <laughs> thank you very much for your time, Samuel. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, thanks for listening. Take care.